Well, hello, church, from wherever you are. We have, um, over the last few weeks, gained a, a growing viewership in Tanzania and now Mozambique. So it just keeps moving, and we're so grateful for all of you. Uh, we know that some of you use the music, some use the lessons, some use Monday mornings. You know, whatever you use is fine. We're all the people of God and we are so glad that we get to meet brothers and sisters that check in. So if you've not checked in yet, please do so. It really does matter. We've been talking about eating from the fruit of the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what sin comes from the judgment of making our own selves the center of things. And making ourselves then the judge of what is right and wrong. What is good and evil. We often don't stress enough. That's the theme of Scripture. It's one of the meta-themes to the point where there's an odd exchange in Matthew chapter 19 that most of us tried to just read quickly and rush through to get to the other parts because it is an odd exchange. In Matthew 19, verses 16 and 17, a man who seems to be very sincere. He's called rich in one gospel. He's called young. He's also called a ruler in another gospel. So people call him the rich young ruler. Uh, as he shows up, he says, good master, and in the King James, he repeats it. Good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, why are you calling me good? There is no one good but God the Father. And then he says, just follow God. Live the commandments. And then we usually go and we talk about how foolish he was because Jesus told him to sell what he had. And we rush over there. Hang on. Did you catch when he says, why are you calling me good? Because that is part of the fruit phenomena. Where we go around and say, that is good. That is bad. And we make that judgment. And the Jews in Jesus' day needed to be reminded, just as we need to be reminded, personally, every day. We don't get to make those calls. But we do get to make calls. And in this series, we've been talking about not making the calls. Starting today and the next two weeks, we're going to talk about, all right, how do you make the call? When do you make the call? Because you're, run, you're going to run across obvious evil. So what do you do with this? When you come across it. The passages read today by John will help ground us as we begin to talk about the place for judgment. And here's a word we don't use positively very often. Discrimination in our lives. So first we should probably define our terms. In Matthew 7 is the very famous passage, judge not that you be not judged. What you may not know there is that the word judgment used comes from a root word which means separate. To separate. Another language, the Greek language, would, would use critic, critique. That word is from a root that means to separate. That's what a critic does. This is a good movie. That's a bad movie. This is a good thing. That's a bad thing. Critics separate. Judgment separates. And the warning there that we're going to look at later about separation is be aware that whenever you make one of those judgments, you are laying a line down that also may get you. 
David Lipscomb, who was not known for being uh, extremely open and progressive for his day, but rather was um, held the conservative line, did not want to draw the line. And once in one of the letters to Gospel Advocate, a paper that he had founded back in the 1800s, they asked, when do we draw the line of fellowship? And his response was, be very careful. Because when you draw the line of fellowship, you may be on the wrong side of the line. And I thought, yeah, I think I get that. So what is discrimination used positively with judgment and critique? Discrimination is a word. It's a legitimate word. It's a good word. It means that you look, you examine, you think, and you make educated, informed decisions about matters, things, events. It's not in itself a bad word, although it has been turned into kind of a bad word because we usually link it to bigotry and racism and hate, which of course would be wrong in any context. But we are not supposed to, all of a sudden, this is what the world says. The world said, this is good. Okay. We're supposed to be discriminating people. Think about it. Look at it. See where it goes. One of the, we've talked about it several times, that river going down the mountain in the Tetons. Don't drink yet. But there's also a turn around and look, where is it going? What happens here? Every word, every thought, every deed, every action, every attitude. Is a bus heading somewhere? Do you really want to go where that bus is headed? Joshua knew that the people of Israel were facing a huge challenge. The challenge was peace and prosperity. These were people who had been on the move in slavery, on the move at war. That's all they knew. That was their culture. That was their heritage. That's all that their parents, grandparents, and such who had perished in the wilderness. That's all the stories they had. But now a new challenge was going to come upon them. A time where they would have things and where they could reasonably expect to come home at the end of the day without being killed. And that was new. And peace and prosperity, for some weird reason, rarely leads people to draw closer to God. And it can lead to some bad decisions. Yeah, now... Who's going to make those decisions? He says, choose for yourself. Choose for yourself. You make your decisions. Never did he say, choose for others. In fact, it's frustrating to many who want to make God some sort of a human government symbol, either for the left or the right, and both of them grab him. I've heard all my life people say, you can make the Bible say anything. Not really. But you can misuse the Bible to say about anything. And you can certainly misuse the story of Jesus to say anything. But if you don't misuse it, you find repeatedly God saying, you do this. And not, you go tell others to shape up like this. There were some instances like that. We're going to talk about that in the next two weeks. But not today. God, of course, will send some people to help you. In the Old Testament here, there were elders of the community. There were wise women. There were judges, male and female. There were priests, male and female. If you read the Old Testament, you will find female priests as well. But it's the inner heart 
that God's interested in. Do you remember that? Whenever he picked David and the others were going, wait, these other brothers are stronger, better, mightier. God said, humans look on the outside. God looks on the inside. What are the decisions of your heart? We can and we do legislate morality. I've heard all my life, you can't legislate morality. Yeah, sure you can. Sure you can. If you misuse children in this way, we will lock you up. We will punish you. That's legislating morality and yes, but you can't make a person moral by legislation. You can tell somebody, you can make somebody drive a certain speed by signs and heavily radared highways, but you can't make them like it. God is interested in what's going on inside. God doesn't want you to follow a do this, don't do that checklist. We talked about that last week. Rather, he wants you to live in love and in God's love. And let that be the center of all things. Joshua knew that. And he knew that no law could cover all things. And no law can change your heart. That's what Paul's on about repeatedly. You kept the law, but it didn't change your heart. That's where God wants to work. We would need, if we're going to follow God and make him happy, we're going to need to learn how to judge for ourselves. Did you notice in Proverbs, and we'll refer to this again, I love Proverbs 4 when it says, make level paths for your feet, because you know what it really means? Don't make it harder than it has to be. We can make things hard by an attitude, a response, an action. There's no need to make this harder than it has to be. Whenever you know, this week uh, is a very, very busy week. I don't know when you're going to be watching this. Some people will watch this years later, which always fascinates me whenever somebody comments on, on something. And I'm going, oh, okay. Uh, when it, we are making decisions about moving my mother from one care facility to something which has more care because she is um, needing more care now. To do that, we made that decision. We talked to her. We judged. We discriminated and all but yeah, we got to go through the paperwork. Now, how do you go through the paperwork? Whenever the people approached us, it was like, <laughs> like they had a, a bomb. And it was like, I don't know how you're going to react to this. And we looked at them and we said, we know that you didn't create the world. You didn't make the universe. And you didn't make my mama have some issues. And that this is what you have to do. We're good with this. We'll, we'll smile through it. And it's, am it's amazing. The people at the hospital kept saying, we need more families like this family. And they talked about the families that come in and fight. And Why? Why would you do that? My son, as a teenager, I was driving him home from school. And he said, Dad, I, I don't get something. And I said, what? And he said, my friends are always talking about the, their problems with their parents and they're arguing and they're fighting about this, that, and the other. And I don't get that. Why would you want to make your life harder than it has to be? Thank you. That's all from me, not Cammy. All, <laughs> all from me. The laughter you hear was filled in later. Um, we are not told to judge others. 
we are not told to judge for others. However, be aware that judging for yourself comes with a cost. At the end of the book of Judges, one of the bloodiest, filled with horrors books you could imagine, at the very end is a verse that says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Or as the King James put it, they did what was right in their own eyes. So, we're in a dilemma. We're in a fallen world. How are we going to judge for ourselves without ending up in the chaos of the book of Judges? Or the chaos of today, when people like to use these new little squirrely terms, and they'll talk about your truth. You live your truth, but then this is my truth, but they're openly dismissive of a the truth. Openly so. What, why? Because if there's a the truth, it'll suppress their desires. It'll suppress their judgment. It'll have to correct their life. And so they'll say, no, there's not a truth. That's offensive to say that there is a truth. In fact, that's why Jesus is offensive. That's why comedians can make fun of Christians, but they don't make fun of other religions generally. Is because two things. One, Christians are generally not going to be the ones to storm the stage and get you. But another is because Jesus is exclusive. He says, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And that's offensive to the world who will say, who are you to judge me? And I'm going, well, he's God. And he gets to. I don't. I have to work on me. It's hard. It's very hard. But when you live in a world full of people who daily snack from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is going to happen. One thought to keep in mind, you may not like this, people are allowed to be evil. People are allowed to make bad decisions. They're allowed to be different from us, even if that gives us problems, even if that hurts us at some level. One of the examples of this is going to be early on in the history of the church in Acts chapter 4. If you don't know the, the story, we've been following this um, in the Wednesday Bible classes. I don't know if we're right there now because I record ahead of time. But in Acts chapter 4, the, uh, Peter and John have been preaching. The Sanhedrin's called the men. They've said, you know, ah, we don't like this. Stop it, stop it. And so they commanded them in verse 18 not to speak or teach. In fact, it says again, to, don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you can judge for yourselves. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They didn't say, you have no right. No, you have the right. People have the right to be wrong. They have the right to make those decisions. Even when it hurts us, our decision, that's what we're in control of. Victor Frankl learned that in the concentration camps. And he wrote, he survived and wrote A Man's Search for Meaning, a book that's only about 100 pages and I need to read it every two or three years as a reset button. Because he realized we own nothing. We don't even own our own bodies. They can be enslaved. Though our life can be taken from us. The only thing we own is our power of choice. 
And it's an amazing, Victor Frankl, look it up, Man's Search for Meaning. And I, I don't get anything. Amazon should really pay me, but they don't. That, we use Amazon Smile for the church, so look us up there. You get to choose. And Peter and John didn't say, you don't get to make that. No, they said, you're allowed to make those decisions. And we will make ours. Think of Paul, beaten, thrown into prison. And he doesn't go, you, you have to let me out of here. This is wrong. Do you understand what? No, no. He understood Nero gets to make his decision. Um, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to be killed. I'm ready to be poured out as an offering, he said. And then he tells Timothy, do the work. Be faithful. Decide for Christ. Never in there is any poor pitiful me or let's launch, you know, uh, an armed insurrection or whatever. No, it's just they made their decision. We make ours. That's the power in that is amazing. Coles doesn't get to decide when you need clothes. And even if they say it's only a 48 hour sale, it isn't. It will be there again. And things like Black Friday, and then there's uh, tech or whatever they call it, Monday. And, uh, and I'm going, you know something? They'll sell it after. And the prices will be fine. And you don't have to go where you're going to be run over. It's, you don't have to worry about this. You'll have what you need. We, uh, one piece of folk wisdom that's worked its way into TV shows and plays goes something like this. Don't worry about things because if you worry about something and it happened, your worry didn't stop it. But if you worry about something and it didn't happen, you lost some of your life. You lost some of your joy for no reason at all. You don't need to worry about that. Sometimes, you know, I think about this week. This week, we have the moving of my mother, which is probably a two-day event. Uh, then I'm speaking in West Tennessee. Then we've got you know, worship and work here. And then doing a wedding over in East Central Tennessee. And so um, you look at it and think, what could go wrong? <laughs> then in a couple of weeks, my wife and I are supposed to go on a vacation. It was canceled twice. And then the consolation vacation was canceled. So we're looking and thinking, do we even put things in the suitcase at this stage? What could go wrong? Or you can just say what happens, happens. This is who we will be regardless of what happens. Whether we go or not, this is who we are. Whether this goes smoothly or not, this is who we are. If you're watching in real time, this week in Tennessee is a heat emergency. Because it's going to be up in the upper 90s, real field temperatures in the hundreds, high humidity. And I know some of you live in Houston and you're going, sissies. Well, yeah, but you know, they have highways and cars. You don't have to be there. So we're here and this is unusual for us. And I can look and go, why this week? Or I can decide who to be regardless of what the temperature is. Who to be, regardless of what happens on the road. That's our decision. We worry about the decisions of others when we have less control over those decisions than we do about an, 
a hurricane churning its way through the Atlantic. We cannot affect that hurricane by our choices and worries. And we cannot affect the choices made in London, in Washington, or in your neighbor's house. So why are we spending our joy on this? Make level paths for your feet. Don't make this harder than it has to be. Human beings are experts in making things harder than it has to be. And Jesus tried to keep us from this and we missed it. The reason we missed it is I really think we read Jesus' stories and we went, that's really nice, but we need structure. And we ran to Paul. And I think Paul would be appalled to see what we've done with him. Because we've made him the lawgiver and Jesus just the stories to back it up. It's wrong. You interpret everything through Jesus. You don't interpret Jesus through Paul. Did you ever see Luke 12, 14? A man comes to Jesus because there's a real problem in his family. There's division over an inheritance. And he wants Jesus because he trusts Jesus. The rabbi, the one come from God, would you settle this? And he looks at, in Luke 12, 14, he goes, friend, who made me a judge over you? Excuse me? And how many, have you ever just frozen at that point reading? Didn't you know, you probably spent two days there, didn't you, Becky? Before you were able to go on the rest of it. Because, well, we thought you were. Jesus did not come here to help you solve your problems. He came here to teach you who to be while you had them. Jesus did not come here to give you an easy life. He came here to teach you who to be whatever life you have. And that's why he would say, good, why are you calling me good? And one and the other, who sent me as a judge over you? He showed us a way of li to live. They came to him several times about divorce and remarriage. And we don't really get the background there, but there was a huge division between two schools of thought. Uh, two rabbis led them. And you can always tell when the way the question is phrased, which rabbi the person is following. Uh, there was a, there's a rule in the Old Testament that you could divorce, you could put away your wife, divorce your wife, but she would have to be given a writ of divorce so that she could remarry because God did not want her to be stuck out there without being able to have family. So he told Moses, no, you have to show that she is free from this. But you could put her away if she was, there was unclean, uncleanness in her or uncleanliness in her. Now, generally speaking, that would have been adultery. That would have been something like that. But by the time of Jesus, one of them, one of the rabbi schools was saying, if she didn't please you, even if she burned a meal, that was enough. This was a perfect time for Jesus to slap some people. This is a perfect time for him to say, what are you thinking? This is a person, not your slave. This is your partner, your friend. You don't do that to be. Instead, he kept not answering their question. Ever. But he would just say, God made man and woman to leave their mom and dad. That's hard. Not physically, because people move physically. It's hard to leave their patterns here. And make your own decisions and do it together and grow together. 
And so he would just say, God's intention is for you to live like this. He wouldn't answer the issue. Have you ever noticed that? Repeatedly. Um, it's, it's amazing to me. And he's not waffling. Jesus isn't afraid to take a stand. He is making a stand. This is the way God wants us to live. Make that decision. Again and again, people wanted him to settle. Like, even after the resurrection, his apostles still don't quite get that Jesus is not going to lead an army to overthrow the Romans. And they said, is it now that we ride into Jerusalem? And he didn't turn around and say, you idiots, how many times do I have to say this? He just turned and said, you know, it's really not your job to know about days and seasons and times. In other words, who cares? Who cares if today is the day we ride into Jerusalem or not? Who are you going to be if we ride or if we don't? Judge. Make your decision. Separate. Do you know what another word for separate is? Or separate in, in scripture? Sanctify. Set it apart. You make your call regardless of what anybody else does. And then that famous judge not that you be not judged passage. Did you ever look at verses 3 through 5 which get explained away repeatedly? When he says, why are you picking? And he's being funny. They would have laughed at this because Semitic humor is different. Uh, and they use wordplay and such. But why are you picking at a speck in your brother's eye when you got a plank, literally, or a log in your own eye? And of course, they would have been tittering and laughing about the place. But he says, wait till you click everything out of your eye and then go for your brother. When will I be done fixing me? When will I be ever be able to, at the end of a day, look back over every thought I've had, every action, every decision, went, nailed it. I can tell you, not yet. Not yet. I once was with a man who was so upset because somebody else was writing bad things about me and attacking me. And he had gone to the guy and he'd said, did you ever meet him? Did you ever talk to him? He went, no, no, I don't have to because he's a public figure and therefore I can attack him. And I'm going, what? What? It must be nice to have the log out of your eye. But you'll notice I haven't named him. I didn't write him back. I never responded. Why? Because I'm working on me. I made the decision to work on me, not him. I hope one day he finds that same joy because I used to be a part of a church that our job was to go find the specks. And we did. It's not my job now. I even remember going to a place where I was going to hear a controversial speaker. And I went on my own, sat there, and I watched these men come in and I knew immediately they were from my tribe. And they sat down. And I'm going, I used to sit like that. So I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to make my decision who I need to be. And it's, it is, it's hard, but it's incredibly freeing. Learn the beautiful art of the shrug. <laughs> Say, I don't know. I'm not here to be in control. Can, I've had people say, can you believe the traffic? Yeah, because we're part of it. It's a problem we're causing too. We're on the road. We 
are occupying space. Therefore, I have chosen to be a part of the problem. All right, okay. Learn to assume the best when possible. I refer to it as, and when I talk to my kids, be intentionally naive. Being naive means just being you know, clueless and stupid. But if you're doing it on purpose, you know, you're, you're in the express lane. Walmart used to have one of those, but now it's like 30 items or less. I'm going, that's not express. Anyway, maybe you're at a, a store that says 10 items, right? And the people in front of you have enough to go down the Amazon for two weeks. You can get mad, but why? Their poor math skills have nothing to do with you. Let's just assume, you know, head blows. Blows to the head are really traumatic. There are lifelong effects. Let's give them some time. Be all right, poor people. All right? You don't, and again, in your head, it's just for fun. You're not doing it, make it, it you're not thinking they're stupid. What you're doing is just bringing some humor into it to remind yourself, ah, it's not my job. It's not what I do. I need to be who I am and to make my choice. Pay attention to the rising blood pressure. Pay attention to the inhaling of the lungs with self-righteous puffery. The narrowing of our eyes or the rolling of our eyes is an act of judgment. In Acts 15, when a church was in crisis over how to deal with the Gentiles and how Jewish they need to be, the elders and the apostles prayed together and said, quote, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to make this harder than it needs to be. And they didn't answer the question that was raised and causing the division. They didn't say, right, here are the rules. They just said, don't act like pagans, keep yourself clean from the world. No direction. Why? Because that's what you do if you're not snacking from the wrong tree. You let them make their decisions be who Jesus calls you to be. In your mind, in your soul, in your life, you're always going to have to make a judgment. Some separating there, some gathering here. But we do it in love. And we do it the way Jesus did it. Looking for a way not to give an answer, but a way out of always demanding answers. I don't need to have the answers. Final experiment. All right? And I'm going a wee bit long but that's all right. People in here can't hit the pause button. They're volunteers. They showed up. Get what's coming. First Corinthians 13. You've heard this before, all right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Got it? Now, is Paul calling us to a life then with this checklist so that we make sure that I did not delight in evil, I wasn't rude, and I didn't dishonor anybody today? No. He's saying if you live a life of love, these will never even be options for you. Because you will always be over here. Not even an option. Tommy, I'm going to let you bring your group up. And since it's rather large, and there are trip wires 
hazards, grenades. I'm going to ease around this way. So you guys come on up. Don't worry about in front of me or behind me or whatever. Just want to say this. Make your decisions and then don't make anybody else's. Love them regardless of their decisions because they have the right to make them even if they hurt you. Jesus is their Lord. Jesus is your Lord. He did not make us judges over anyone. And when he lived among us, he refused to be a judge. Now he's our savior. God is our judge. But God looks like Jesus. No matter how you work this, it comes back to love. So let's decide to love. But you get to choose.